0: blog talk radio hi movie fans this is betty joe tucker thanking you for tuning in to movie attic headquarters we have a pre-father's day treat for you today folks because we're revisiting our discussion with chris lemon who talks about a twist of lemon his acclaimed book about his famous father jack lemon happily for movie fans Chris's memoir also includes behind-the-scenes stories relating to his father's remarkable movie career. Now, before listening to Chris, we should mention that he's following in his father's footsteps by choosing showbiz as his career, too. Among the highlights of Chris's background are appearances in many films, and he's also a screenwriter, producer, and musician who, in 2015, adapted A Twist of Lemon into a stage play, and he's toured with it through the United States. Well, the chat room is open now, and I hope chatters will share their favorite Jack Lemmon performances or films with us. I'm happy to report that Angela Drake, the great host of Wacko in the Morning show over there on the uh, Wacko Network broadcast on Mixler, that's M-I-X-L-R, is already in the chat room. And I'm uh, so happy to welcome her. Now, folks, you're about to hear what a great storyteller Chris Lemon is. Well, of course, Chris is here with us now. So it's my great pleasure to introduce him. Welcome to Movie Addict Headquarters, Chris. Oh, hello,
1: Betty Joe, It's a pleasure to be with you
0: we 're honored that you could be with us chris uh, there 's been a lot of excitement about your appearance uh, i 've received more uh, emails about your appearance than any other guests that we 've had on movie attic headquarters. so well, I I'm thought
1: i 'm <laughs> very happy to hear that
0: and congratulations on your wonderful book.
1: Thank you so much.
0: I really um, mean it when I recommend it to uh, to everyone who loved Jack Lemon and who 's interested in the father-son relationship, uh, because it does cover both topics uh, so poignantly. And I know that your father made so many great films. He received eight Oscar nominations, I believe, and actually won two, and wasn't it close to 100 films and TV programs that, that he had on his resume? That's quite amazing. But I can't help wondering if you knew about his acting philosophy and, and what that was.
1: Well, absolutely. It's, it, I think that I explain it um, a, a, a great deal and in great depth in the book. As, as Kevin mentions as well, Kevin Spacey, who wrote the foreword. Um, and I think it really – well, I, Kevin said it very eloquently in the foreword. Uh, before, as far as anybody knows, before any take Jack Lemon ever did, uh, he said two words, and those words were magic time. And yeah. as yes, as Kevin says in the foreword, it was really more than just a simple calling to his muse. It was really a statement of him as a human being. And I think that that really, if you, I mean, we can all talk about our individual techniques, but those are very, very personal, um, uh, just like technique in, in any, any art form would be. But uh, to imbue his, his spirit into a character, you see, that's, that's really what, what the great actors have the ability to do so seamlessly, as did my father. And Jack Lemmon really, truly was a magical human being. He was a magical person. Being around him was magical. He was a human leprechaun. And he had that ability to seamlessly fit those those wonderful and, and charming qualities of his into every performance that he ever did. And uh, that's why it was magic time on or off the screen. Uh, one of the things that compelled me to want to publish this very personal book was that he was so delightful off-screen, and that I knew a person that, that nobody out there did. Uh, they never got to see that side of Jack Lemmon. Um, they saw the wonderful things he was on-screen, but that's one of the things that led me to want to publish, so I could let everybody have a little taste of the wonderful things he was off.
0: Well, I'm so glad you did, and I like your description there of uh, Jack Lemon being like a leprechaun. Because he really was, yeah. Leprechauns, I mean, <laughs> they were so, magical... He was
1: so Yeah, he was so full of beans and and so cheeky and fun and, and just great, great fun to be around. And anything you ever did with him was just enhanced. Yet at the same time, he was really such a gallant human being. You know, wherever he went, he would just raise the bar. And it's really one of the traits I admired most in him and have done my best to try to emulate.
0: Well, he certainly was a wonderful role model for you. How did he happen to become an actor
1: well, I think it was destiny. I mean, I think he was an actor from the, the moment he came on the scene. Um, you know, I tell tell the story about him being born in the uh, elevator of the well- Newton Wellesley Hospital. Uh, he didn't even make it to the delivery room, uh, as di- as happened with my th- third child. Um, You're kidding. No, no. It's, it's, I really do think this the stuff of the parent is passed down. I talk about it in the book as the lemon legacy, um, that kind of legacy of bumbling bewilderment that that really coined Pop and, and, and gave him that everyman moniker. and. Uh, you know, I have it too, and uh, when the two of us would get together, it would be magnified, triple fold, and and it's it's uh, there it is right on on my my kids as well. I mean, you know, my kid was born in the middle of a thunderstorm going down I 84. Uh, uh, it barely made it to the to the livery room, and, and if you take a look at that same child, he's got that jack lemon grin pasted all over his face, and so. Yeah, it's it's just the way he was, and that's I think in, in a, a bit more of an elaboration on your first question. I think that's one of the things that made him so charming in all of these various roles uh, across the demographics and across the emotional spectrum. I mean, you know, he really was Harry uh, Harry Stoner in Save the Tiger. He really was the character in in um, uh, um, uh, the Out of Towners who. You know, at, against all odds, finally conquers New York, only to be hijacked to Cuba on the way home on his jet flight home to Ohio.
0: What an ending to a movie! It
1: certainly <laughs> was, and it was just so so typical of Jack Lemmon, but even magnified even more so off screen than it was on. Um, you know. Uh, I I speak about, and we'll get into this as we speak a little later on, but these wonderful adventures that we took together. You know, for instance, uh, one of the places we went was uh, catch-and-release fly fishing up in Alaska. And fly fishing with Jack Lemmon wasn't fly fishing. You know, it was the rest of us fly fishing while Jack Lemmon did Felix Unger on on the banks of the stream trying to straighten out his tackle box or getting bombed by irate eagles and, and chased by, you know, enraged bears.
0: You know, as only Jack
1: Lemon could you know or, uh, that's you
0: know. a that's a great part of your book
1: <laughs> it's it's good fun i mean you know I, actually i don't think i ever really saw him catch a trout that didn't at least pull him into the stream first so. you're kidding <laughs> no it, it really it's i mean it, it really is true i mean that 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 wonderful quality uh, that that you know that lemon legacy uh, which i unfortunately have <laughs> as well, <laughs> have inherited i mean it's it was it was him so He was just so much fun to be with. Oh,
0: and that comes through loud and clear in uh, A Twist of Lemon. Uh, Why do you think he loved acting so much, Chris?
1: Well, I think that, you know, again, I mean, I uh, I, I don't want to paint this book as, as, you know, as contrite either. I mean, I I really kind of do get get down into it, and, and... you know, and there's nothing. Look, there's no wire coat hangers anywhere in this book. So if people. Oh, this isn't,
0: that, that Crawford, uh, this isn't Joan Crawford. This isn't a daddy. This is not
1: uh, a daddy dearest. No, this this is not that. Um, but on the other hand, I didn't cop out. I hope. Uh, and you know, we, we do get into it. Uh, and I think that a lot of, of of his love of acting was not just his incredible talent and his ability to realize that what his calling in life really was. But it was also where he felt the safest as a human being. Uh, this was a man who had, you know, had difficult with, uh, difficulty with close emotional commitment. Uh. Um, you know, he was the first person if you got a little too close to say, "Hello, operator, we got a bad connection," which kind of <laughs> was, was one of his favorite lines. And. Uh, it, it made for interesting fodder and in the father-son relationship. You know, uh, uh, for instance, I mean, I, I can't tell you how many times he'd never really say anything to me about our relationship, but I'd hear it from everybody else around me, how proud he was or, or any other of the other aspects of our relationship. And I think that that, there was, uh, that acting allowed him a safety blanket to really invest himself emotionally in something without the fear of becoming too close, and in that aspect, becoming vulnerable.
0: So he actually, I don't know, I'm a little bit confused here. It's interesting,
1: isn't it? It's it's, it's really fascinating if you think about it. Uh, And that is the depth of of what this book is all about. You know, the father-son relationship is a is a really fascinating thing and this book was born out of a a defense mechanism uh... my father died of a protracted illness of cancer in two thousand one and i had been through it with my mother before that i lost both my parents to that insidious disease uh... thusly my my close working relationship with the american cancer society uh... but as a defense really there was nothing i could do in the final days when he was there but not really there Except to sit next to him, hold his hand, and remember the times that we had together—the good and the bad—and that, uh, after he was gone, uh, as as an attempt at a catharsis, I started writing those memories down. And as I wrote some down, more would unfold, and more would unfold, and I really felt, uh, you know, uh, it—it was a healing process. The catharsis was happening for me. I also wanted to write them down for my kids so they could know this side of that man uh, when they got older, too. I remember my daughter once coming to me with big tears. We call it big tears when they really cry. And she said, you know, I feel that the world knows my grandfather better than I do. And, boy, that really struck me. And those were the reasons I originally started writing this very personal memoir-slash-biography-autobiography. But then... I, I realized I was kind of really beginning to investigate something that wasn't investigated very often, and that was the the, the mysterious father-son relationship, the loving yet guarded one of the most important relationships a man can ever have. And right. uh, yeah, and and uh, I, I think you know that in life, even in relationships that aren't functional. Um, and certainly in the ones that are, that the son seeks approval from the father. And in turn, there's a quiet hand on that son's shoulder, um, you know, reassuring them. And when the father goes, uh, that hand is gone, too. You know, that famous old quote, a man doesn't become a man until he loses his father. And the accompanying aloneness, at least for me, was, was overwhelming. And that was the birth, that was the reason. You've got 11 on the phone, incidentally, we do a half hour on Hello, so... Just shut me up if I rattle on too much. <laughs> I, but, you well, know, I what, will finally, or I will
0: or I will or Nikki will, but th- okay, this is so go. interesting well, uh, what well, you're revealing. Finally,
1: the, uh, the the final thing that, that actually said, you know, what I I'm going to go ahead and, and publish this very personal account um, uh, was that he really was so beloved. I mean, people really did adore Jack Lemmon. He really did please most of the people most of the time. He really was that everyman. And he, these memories in this book that, uh, you know, are so personal and, and run the emotional spectrum from melancholy to hopefully me-slappingly funny, because uh, he was, and that's what I tried to be, um, I just felt compelled to share them uh, with all those people that do love him. And so that was the final, that, the final straw, you know, that, that said, yes, I, I think I want to go ahead and...
0: Well, I, I think you've, you've done a wonderful job on this, Chris, and thanks, thanks. that we have uh, such a, a better understanding of Jack Lemmon, both as an actor and as a, as a father, by, by reading this book. And so what you're telling us is that he loved acting because he could express his emotions.
1: Without, without getting too close. Yes, without
0: getting, because, without getting well, too sure, close. It makes him
1: vulnerable if it's done on, on a one-to-one basis in real life. You become vulnerable when you open yourself up to another person. Well,
0: did he prefer comedy or drama? Did you know?
1: I, I think he w- I think the whole point of, of, of his uh, statement as an artist, as an actor, was that he preferred both. Uh, that was something that he really struggled against early in his career was being pigeonholed as a comedic actor. And that's why he was turning work down uh, um, to, to get the right vehicle, which probably ended up being Days of Wine and Roses, uh, w- which was the real, even though the apartment, boy, there was some magnificent he- you know, depth to that as well, uh, though it would be deemed a, a, a comedic performance, uh, well, a, com- a comedy. Uh, that
0: uh, Days of Wine and Roses is my favorite
1: Jack well, sure. Lemmon performance, sure, I mean, and you know, uh, I mean, it haunts me. Pieces. I'm sorry. Go ahead,
0: I, I was just mentioning that it still haunts me. It was it was so brilliant. He 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 definitely became the character.
1: Oh, well, sure he did. You in know, that. And, and it was a wonderful beginning to his relationship with Blake Edwards as well. They you know they did a number of films together, and and uh, you know Blake is just a, 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 a equally brilliant artist himself in his own way. Um, and but. That was the one, I think, that, that broke him through, and, and it was, it, as we call it, the hot kiss at the end of the wet fist for all those people out there who wanted to pigeonhole Jack Lemon as a, as a comedic actor.
0: Right, because he was a wonderful, uh, dramatic actor, too. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think uh, he was so popular with everyone? Do you know that I saw so many Jack Lemon films and looked forward to them so much and loved them so much, um, I almost thought of him as part of my family? And well, I wonder if... <laughs> that's exactly
1: if... it. It really was, as I said, it was that everyman quality. Uh, you know, he, he really was such a nebbish in real life, and he really, and he, the one thing that he, the two, he did two things really brilliantly. One of them was the ability to, to take those parts of himself that imbued that, that aspect uh, and others into his characters and seamlessly fit them in there, and then without ever letting the wire show, able to fill in the gaps with technique, and that's let's face it, I mean, that's what really true, great acting is, is all about. The other thing that he did, maybe, and this is what Cliff Robertson in his little uh, uh, few pages in the book says uh, so so brilliantly, uh, you know, Cliff was the, uh, the original person to play that, that character in, in, in uh, uh, Days of Wine and Roses, you know that, as a he was
0: He was set to play the part that uh, your dad finally no, took did. in Days of Wine and, and Roses.
1: No, no, The Days of Wine and Roses was originally a teleplay, and Cliff played, played that character.
0: Oh, yes, right.
1: Yeah, yeah. But so. as Cliff said it uh, so well, and it really is true, and I, I uh, tell a number of stories about it in the book, he had the ability to do something which, in my opinion, is equally as important as, as the actual work of acting, which is to pick which parts and pick which, which uh, projects to be in. And his instincts were phenomenal, as good as any or maybe even better uh, than any out there uh, at picking the right projects. Uh, One of the stories I tell that points that out, and having the right instincts for them as well, uh, that I tell in the the book that points that out is that he was originally offered a, a project that he fell in love with and said, boy, I really want to be a part of this project. I want to produce this project, but I don't feel I'm right to play this part. As a matter of fact, I know who is. And he approached that actor. The actor said, yes, and boy, was Pop right, because the following, following year, uh, God bless his soul, Paul Newman was nominated for an Academy Award for his performance in Cool Hand Luke.
0: Cool Hand Luke. Pop, who
1: originally offered that part, said, I think Paul Newman's better at this part, but I want to produce it because I think this is going to be one hell of a film. Talk about instincts. And oh, he about had being, cr- uh, great about instincts. And... Enough. Yes, that, that's the whole point. Talk about being selfless enough. To understand what is going to make the best possible movie as a verse to saying, wow, what a role. And, right. Uh, and, and now, of course, there was the other side of the coin as well. Uh, he didn't make many mistakes. Uh, I can only really remember two, and I write about both, and one of them is, my, is one of my favorite stories. Uh, it was a film that he starred in that just wasn't very good, and he wasn't all that great in it either, and I think he knew it. So he went to his buddy, Walter Mathau and uh, said, Waltz, will you come to the screening with me and be my security blanket while I watch this thing? And this kind of proves my point that choosing the right project, because if you choose the wrong one, you're stuck with it forever. Um, and they went and they saw the screening, and sure enough, the thing was a barker. And afterwards, everybody was filing out very quietly, and as anybody who's involved in the business knows, quietly is never good at the end of a screening. And finally, very nervously, Pop turned to Walter and said, "Well, it, 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 well so, so what did you think?" Walter thought about it a second and turned to him and said, "Get out of it." Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good advice, Walter. Well, it's bar- you know, I just so Walter, you know, in, in, in just uh, in just four words, he can capitalize such a complicated uh, you know thing and, and and get a good good laugh at it. <laughs> well.
0: Well, your father and Walter Matthau made uh, about ten movies together.
1: Something and, like that, yeah, ten, something it, like that.
0: And they were such good friends. Well, uh, why do you think they became such good friends?
1: Well, I think it was a match made in heaven. Um, uh, on screen, uh, it, it was just one of those things that. that you know, It was it. Yeah, when you see a great performer, when you see a great actor, you can sit and talk and flap your gums all day long. But what it really boils down to is something like completely unexplainable at the end of the day, which I call the it factor. They've just got it. And that's, I think, true of, of comedy teams and comedy duos as well, like Hope and Crosby, like Laurel and Hardy. Like Abbott and Costello, and like Mathew and Lemon, they just had it. Uh, they it did. They definitely
0: had the the and hit off back.
1: screen, off, off screen. Quite honestly, and uh, and in in the number of stories that Walters included in, in the book, I, I I hinted this too without trying to, I, I tried to write the whole book without hitting any nails on the head. You know, it's, uh, who, who wants to read a book where all the nails are being hit on the head? But I think that, that Waltz really was the big brother that Pop never had and always wanted. You know, Pop was an only child. He always wanted a brother, but boy, after what, after what, God bless, gorgeous Gigi, she called herself gorgeous grandma, Gigi for short, his mother, uh, she said, I'm never doing it again after she had Pop. Never again, <laughs> you, know, which, which, uh, you know, when Pop asked her for, for a brother. And I think Walt was that brother. And I'll tell you, um, it, I think if Walt had learned to play golf, Pop probably would have married him.
0: You would have met him. I think you're probably right. Well, you worked with your father on uh, three films: Dad, That's Life, and Airport '77. Right. Is that Yeah, and
1: actually, you know, that, That's Life was was a, was a uh, uh, was a Blake film as well.
0: And, yes, and uh, and what was it like to work with him on a film?
1: It was just, you know, it was joyful. There was again, you know. The whole thing is just not to let the work show. You know, you do, and of course all of that comes from, from properly preparing for the work as well, but, uh, and, and pop was as good as any at prepping. Um, uh, and also, That's Life was a wonderfully unique experience. Um, uh, that uh, you know, we, we actually ad-libbed the entire movie. There was no script for that. Really? Job. Yeah, yeah. We got, we got together in rehearsal, ad lib our scenes, and then kind of lock in and go in and do them. So it was really a very unique experience in that aspect. But you never saw the work with Pop. It was again, it was the work was all there, of course. But it was it was effortless. And of course, that's what what any actor shoots for. And, uh, you know, you look at a beautiful like a Ferrari, um, and you're not looking at all that the, the incredible engine, the incredible brakes and suspension. Of this you're looking at that beautiful body. You know that stuff's underneath, but you're still looking at the beautiful body. And that's. What giving performances, uh, great performances in acting, I, I think should should be like. Uh, you never show the work. The work right. Never
0: never let the wheels show.
1: Right. Exactly. Uh, but the work's all been done because that's why the performance is
0: there. Right. As I mentioned before, Chris, uh, I just love the way you included so many movie insider stories about mm-hmm. your dad, because of course I am a movie addict. And uh, do you think is
1: the funniest one that you included in your book i have my i have two of my favorites but well, there, there's a ton of them um and again that was when i went to my dear wife and 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 you know as as a, a few minutes ago when we were talking about the why of my publishing this book you know and i gave her all of these reasons some light, some heavy and this and that and she uh, you know in her wonderful inimitable wisdom kind of shook her head and said uh-huh 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 and then she turned to me and said make it funny because that's what pop was he was just darn. Um, I think Verna Lisi's husband story. Uh, yes, you know, that's out. one of my favorites, yeah, when, right? Yeah, you Verna know, husband chasing him through the Paramount lot. You know, uh, maybe one of my favorites. Um, uh, I, I don't know if I should paraphrase it now, but it, just very quickly, this uh, that was on how to murder your wife, and right. a nasty fall, um, and uh, and really pulled some muscles in his back and this and that and and he was storming, you know, just wanted to go and lay down, so he stormed through the studio, and they had all these little cottage dressing rooms that were all alike. And Vernalice's husband was uh, a, you know, a, a, from it, they're from Italy. I mean, this guy's a full-blown Italian, barely speaks any English, and he was extremely jealous of the fact that Vernie was playing this sexy character who's being catcalled by people, and he showed up, you know, flew cross-country because of his jealousy, or I'm sorry, crossed the pond because of his jealousy, and and uh, found her in a scene where the, the construction guys are catcalling her. Had an absolute tantrum. She finally calmed him down, and she's in the in the dressing room without a stitch of clothing on. And Pop mistook her room for his and came bursting in. Well, that's <laughs> all this guy needed to see. It, it was all over, and it literally turned into a Keystone Cops movie with you know Pop furtively running through the alleys of Paramount Studios with this irate six foot five Italian running after him. <laughs> With Verna Lisi with, with uh, not a stitch of clothing except a, a bathrobe, cl- you know, clung around her, chasing after him, with all the grips and the crew and the producers chasing after them, and finally the director afterwards screaming, "Cut! Cut!" <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's like a movie itself. I, it that was, was one of my yeah, favorites. Yeah. I like the George Cougour story too on the well, very Cukor, first movie that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That your dad uh, made, uh, and George Cukor really taught him a lesson about yeah, acting, didn't absolutely. he? Absolutely.
1: Well, you know, Pop is a con- was a court- contained tornado. I mean, it, you know, at, at, I mean, take a look at, at like Ensign Pulver and some uh, Mister Roberts. You know, I mean, this is the kind of energy, or, or of course, you know, God bless Daphne in in some Like It Hot. This is the kind of energy this man had, and uh, Cukor was marvelous because you know they were doing, I believe, what was it? What, uh, it's a Wonderful Life, or something, or, or something like that. Um, uh, oh, well, anyway, uh, it was one of his first films, and Pops on the set, of course, being a contained tornado, and Kukor with that marvelous kind of underbite lisp that he had would like, say, Oh, Jack, Jack, that's a lovely performance, dear, but just could you give me a little bit less? And Pops would <laughs> say, Okay, a little bit less, a little bit less, okay, all right, here we go. And he comes in and she starts chewing up the furniture again, and Kukor again is, Just lovely, Jack, Cut a little bit less, Jack, a little bit less. And finally, you know, Pop turns to him and says, "Jesus Christ, George! If I give you any less, I won't be acting." To which Cucor turned to him and said, "Exactly." <laughs> I think that's just a classic. Oh, Chris,
0: I wonder—we've um, extended the show for, for fifteen minutes, and so that we can take some calls. And I notice we have sure. a call now. Would you be willing to take it? Sure, of course. Okay, hold on. Area code eight two eight. Thank you for holding. This is Movie Attic Headquarters and we have Chris Lemon as a guest who's calling please
2: Hi uh this is Wild Wagon
0: Well hi Wild Wagon did you uh, thank you for calling do you have a question or a comment for Chris Lemon
2: Yeah I have a question for Chris uh I want to know how uh, it was growing up with a famous dad in the movie industry
1: Well it's it's interesting um it, it I actually ended up, because that was the one question I was asked more than any other question in my entire life, what's it like to be Jack Lemmon's son. And I finally ended up having to write a chapter in this book in order to give the, the, the proper answer for it, because it covered so, such a, a large area of emotional investment. Um, so the best answer I can say to, to everybody out there listening is, Go buy the book and uh, and yes. the Jack Lemons son chapter, and uh, that question will be answered as thoroughly and completely as I possibly can. Um, well, that's a good a answer. answer not, not, and not to completely cop out on you, Wild, but uh, okay. as a quick sidebar, yes, it was a little difficult in the aspect that as a child you are identified as an object, not as a person. In my case, Jack Lemon's son and not Chris Lemon. But let me just say this, that on the other side of the coin, he was, again, so magical, so wonderful, such a great guy, and not just my father, but my very best friend. So there's the two sides to that coin. Uh, and, and also thank you for, for saying that, because one of the things I really, when I set out to write this, well, when I, set out to, to, when I made the decision to publish this book, the one thing I didn't want to do was start saying, oh, poor me. You never saw my father do it once in any of the performances he ever gave, and boy, there were some characters like C.C. C. Baxter in the apartment who could have gotten very self-indulgent and self-piteous, and you never saw him do it, and you never saw him do it in real life, not even until the day he died. Uh, his his only thought was for us, his family. And the last thing I wanted to do was write a book where I started going, oh, poor me, and, you know, do another one of these I'm sorry, you know, if, I, if I'm if i being a little blanketing, but one of these stars kids, you know, crying to the cup of tea. You know what? I don't think anybody wanted to hear that about Jack Lemmon, and I don't want to publish that when our sons and daughters are overseas giving their lives for our country. The last thing I think they need to hear is a stars kid crying to his cup of tea. So
0: That's a great – Thank you
1: for that question.
0: That is a great answer, and that was a wonderful question, Wild Wagon. Thanks so much for calling in.
2: Uh, no problem. Thank you, guys.
0: Bye. Well, everyone wanted to know that, so I'm glad Wild Wagon asked that question. And yeah, along great. the same lines, uh, you've really uh, been involved in showbiz, too, uh, Chris. I know that you've had about 37 movies and television programs that you've been associated with, and now you have your own production company, Stone Manor Productions, which, by the way, uh, if people want to know more about the book or to purchase it, if they, uh, if they decide not to go to Amazon.com, they can go to Stone, S-T-O-N-E, Manor, M-A-N-O-R, Productions.com and find out more about it. But yeah, why don't so, you tell us a little bit about what you've got uh, on, sure. on your plate now. Yeah, just,
1: I, I went ahead and put, because I, I get asked that question so often, sure you can go to Barnes, any of the bookstores or, or, or those and find it, uh, and also at Amazon. Um, uh, so I just put a link on, on the literary page on our website so that will link you over to a- Amazon. Actually, I've got to change it because I think that links you to the, to the hardcover. Ooh, thanks for reminding me of that at Betty Jones. Right, uh, but tell uh, us what you've you got going. Well, you can also see all the stuff i got going. Actually, the most exciting project I have right now is a film that my wife and I wrote together uh, uh, uh-huh. called, called Publicity Stunt. And uh, it's, it's very near and dear to my heart because the original concept, though it's changed a great deal, it shows you how long these damn things take to get going, uh, was something that my father and I originally started producing together and that he, he loved the idea of. It kind of harkens back to those kind of films that, you know, the Some Like It Hots and Mad, Mad World. And uh, in this case, actually, Big Fat Greek Wedding is, was, is really a big role model for this film. Uh, and uh, actually, Joel Zwick, who's the fellow who directed Big Fat Greek Weddings, is attached as our director. So great. We're, yeah, we're just you know going through the the woes of of funding. Any independent filmmaker will tell you it's it's just it's you know you, you you spend most of your time trying to raise the money, and then every once in a while you get lucky enough to be an artist. But uh, you know the, the funding has been has been interesting to say the least, and and hopefully we'll be able to. to, to I can't all.
0: wait to see it because. I I can't believe the people lined up to be in it, Cliff Robertson. You know,
1: we wanted to to put all these wonderful old time actors, and, and you know, and they're not getting any younger. So we really are hoping that it's going. You know, Harvey Corman had a large part in this film. He had a wonderful oh. a wonderful scene that I that I wanted him and Tim and Harvey's an old friend. You know, uh, as our most of it could be cast.
0: Oh, uh, I was. But still... I, I had
1: a great scene where he and Tim Conway played these two old used card salesmen that uh, you know that frustrate the the intention of the two heroes in the, uh, in the story. And, and uh, you know, and now Harvey's not with us anymore. God bless his soul. One of the no, greatest well, guys on the face of the earth. but And
0: he was just terrific, and my favorite was Blazing Saddles. But oh, I, You've got yeah. Charles Derny, well, you know Dom DeLuise. La-
1: well, yeah, yeah we've got Dom DeLuise. We Buck got, Henry,
0: uh, Peter Falk. Oh, I, I'm keeping my fingers crossed gone, on that. It's
1: well, <laughs> well, that's, that's kind of, it's kind of the inside joke of the film. Is every corner you turn, it's it's you know one of these great Starker actors poking fun at their own persona. Uh, oh, that that, yeah. that sounds great, yeah, Chris. No, I'm I, going
0: to ask um, Nikki if there's um, if there are any questions or comments in the chat room that she'd like to share with us, Nikki. Well, we, I, you know how I always ask, what is what is your favorite movie? Yes.
2: And we have from um, some like it hot to Grumpy Old Men to Hamlet. Everybody just loves everything. Wow! Yeah,
1: those are great. That one, Mm -hmm. yeah. You know, Grumpy Old Men was marvelous because it introduced Pop and Walter to a whole new generation, Um, and it was also a real catharsis for their career. Uh, You know, after after well, I shouldn't say catharsis, a real rejuvenation to their career, a rebirth, um, a, 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 a renaissance. For their career <laughs> right I'm fishing, for, I'm fishing for the right description but anyways it was it was nice because they hadn't worked for a while and grumpy old men busted open uh, you know the, the math al 11 team again uh, mm-hmm. uh, after after I think eight ten years
0: and it was uh, hilarious it, was, mm-hmm. I loved it, it really
1: was it was one of those wonderful kind of heartwarming it just had all the right ingredients uh, and Don Rye who directed the original really put his finger on it just right uh, it was uh, lovely lovely uh, couple of films for them. Well, I what is your favorite, uh, Chris? Almost, what is your favorite? Almost impossible to answer that question again for the very reason that we started out our, our little interview with, uh, because he was so, you know, he, he was able to do so many different types of performances uh, from dramatic to broad comedy and, and, and everything in between. Um, my, one of my very favorites, and, and, you know, my wife slaps me across the head every time I say it, but I can't help it because it is, was The Great Race. Oh,
0: just, that I'm was sure so funny!
1: And probably because I had such a great time as a kid, you know, I, I would go on the set and I'd fence with Tony Curtis, who was the great Leslie, and I'd ride around on the Fate Mobile with my father and 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 Peter Falk, and and you know, and they, they'd have golf cart. They had uh, Blake had these different golf carts that were uh, dressed up exactly like the cars they drove in the film, and they'd all race to to lunch together, and you know. Lake boy, I'll tell you, this man knows how to run a fun set. He's so full of beans and so much fun himself, anyway. And uh, and of course, he you know he and Julie Andrews and, and the whole Edwards Andrews clan are, are like a second family to to us. Um, but anyways, uh, the great race. But I, I really think that that of, if I, if you have to pin me down, I think missing for a number of different reasons was missing. One of the most important to me. Missing, yes. And uh, he not.
0: was nominated for an Oscar oh, for indeed Missing. Oh, he was,
1: as was the film, uh, and Costa Gavras, one of, one of the great directors of all times, and, and also one of the more important films, the message of the film. But, uh, but also for, for a very personal reason, because I found out, and I only found out after he died, from my wife, who hadn't told me before because she thought I knew, which harkens back to that whole thing we were talking about earlier, the mysterious father-son relationship. He, you know, he'll talk to everybody else, but he won't say it to you. And I think that's true of a lot of father-son relationships. I only found out after the fact that, you know, of course, the story is about the true life story of Charles Horman, who lost his son. Uh, his son was murdered by a South American regime with the full knowledge of the American government, who disavowed that knowledge. That's tragic. A tragic story. And uh, – and, uh, I found out that in order to to reach those notes, uh, Pop used me as the role model, uh, as the son. Uh, and oh. I only found out after he passed away, and it was um, a, a, not an easy moment. But oh. that that uh, for that reason, uh, missing, I would have to if I have to pick one, that's that's it.
0: Well, that would be a, a special movie movie for you. And I understand going back to the Great Race that there was some talk about. Doing a sequel and you starring in it.
1: Yeah, doggone it! Uh, it was Blake uh, came up to us when we were doing That's Life one day and said, you know, I've got a great idea. And why don't we do the Great Race 2? Well, of course, they go now. They go from Paris back to New York. And let's we got the Prince of Potsdorff and, and Professor Fate. Pop played both roles. Let's do. <laughs> Professor Fate has a son who, of course, is the exact opposite of him. And then the Prince of Potsdorff has twin sons. So now you can't tell anybody apart anywhere. You got five people playing characters that look like each other and pretending to be each other. And you know, if there was anybody, Blake with with his Pink Panther and with all the marvelous, you know, marvelous—not uh, slapstick, but you know, you know what I'm saying. Those that type of film and, and *The Great Race* being one of the one of the gems in the crown of of that type of filmmaking. It's uh, just, boy, could he could he have done it? Yeah, um, and that would have. That would have been great. I would have oh, yeah. been the first
0: one lining up for that one. Yeah, he couldn't
1: wrest the rights away from Columbia Studios, unfortunately.
0: Oh, <laughs> bummer, bummer.
1: Yes, exactly. Well, well, if you think it's a bummer, boy, you should have seen what I thought.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, Absolutely. Would have been,
1: uh, that would have been, a, been a, a wonderful experience.
0: I think we have to mention your father's performance in Some Like It Hot.
1: See again, in, in Some Like It Hot? Yes. Uh, Oh well, sure. I mean, it's you know, I mean, AFI thinks it's the greatest comedy of all time, and And I I, I ain't gonna argue with him.
0: And his his uh, portrayal of Jerry and Daphne (laughs) has been named the 33rd greatest uh, performance, I believe, of all time, too, by one of the magazines. Uh, I'm I'm not sure of that, but I know it's on everybody's list of great performances. Oh yeah, I
1: mean, it's it it is truly one of the great classics of all time and one of the great performances, and some of the, again, some of the great, there were actually a few stories I didn't even, I couldn't fit in the book, uh, that, uh, you know, or I'd either forgotten, I just didn't have a reason to, uh, structurally to put in, but one of my favorites is, is the one with Marilyn Monroe, uh, where, you know, Marilyn had the famous story where she did 32 takes with Billy Wilder on, on High, I'm Honey, she just couldn't oh. get it, it was one of those days, you know, Marilyn was what Marilyn was, she was an absolute genius, and, and better at, at what she did than anyone That's why she was what she was and, and will always be an icon. But Marilyn would also get a little goofy sometimes and go up and, and yeah, thirty two takes on I am honey. And it happened the day before Pop was supposed to do that big long scene where she jumps into the bunk with him. Yes. And if you notice Billy shot that scene in one. That that almost that whole scene you'll never see a cut. And which is, wow. of course, the, the earmark of great directing and great acting, and every actor loves directors who do that, who will let them go three, four, five, six pages without cutting. And that was one of those scenes, and Pop knew, oh, well, if she went up on high, I'm Honey, she's going to be all over the place on this. So what I'm going to do is, this is Lemon, you know, this is the scheming Lemon. I'm just not, not going to give him everything I got for the first 10, 15 uh-huh. takes. We'll let her go up, we'll let her go up, we'll let her go up, and when it looks like she's going to get one, Boo, I'm going to come in there, and I'm going to give it everything. You know what? She got it on the first take. Billy Wilder said, cut, print, that's it, moving on. <laughs> and my old man is left, wait, 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 wait Billy, hold on a second. <laughs> and that's it. So there you go, true story. I love it, I
0: love it. And and that last scene with uh, Joey Brown and, oh, yeah. and, and your dad, And oh, yeah. when it's Joey good. Brown finds out that, that Daphne is a man, and my one of my favorite lines in the movie, oh, well. Nobody's perfect.
1: perfect. Nobody's <laughs> perfect. I, I put it in publicity stunt as an inside joke.
0: Great. I play,
1: I play the lead in, in publicity stunt.
0: Oh, I can't wait to. Oh, I yeah.
1: And, and there's, there's a, a sim, similar situation in publicity stunt to that that, that Joe and I obviously purposely crafted and we give a, a, a Marvelous well, it's, we give a, Steve Buscemi's available. We want him to play that particular part. Well, the, well
0: I hope when you get finished with Publicity Stunt, which I know you will, and I know you'll get the funding, that you'll come back on the show and we can talk about that,
1: sure. that movie. Well, if anybody out there wants to make a really funny film, give me a call. <laughs>
0: Very, and, and they can contact you through Stone Manor <laughs> Productions. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, that'll be a first. <laughs> right. Well,
0: I usually ask this question of um, everyone on the show. What's the most important thing you want people to know
1: about you uh, and your work, Chris? Well, I mean, I, well, in that case, I'll, I'll say in, in, in pertaining to this book, because yes. this book has been, I'm really very, very proud of it, and it's been emotionally one of the most rewarding things I've ever done, not just as a person, but as, a, as an artist. Um, and a lot of that, comes from uh, the reaction that i've gotten to it it's, it's been you know we had never we didn't get one bad review it's been been now two years in hardback and now it's here it is born again internationally in paperback Thank. first of all let me sidebar really quickly and say hats off also to algonquin books who did the hardcover and to applause who are doing such a terrific job with this softcover but they really have done a great job for having the guts to publish a loving tribute uh, and, and not a, a coat hanger-esque story Lord knows it is not uh, easy to do uh, in this marketplace. Well, but,
0: congratulations to yeah, them, and, too.
1: And so I better not
0: off. hear about anybody giving it a bad review. Uh,
1: you know what? We haven't gotten one. And, and also people have come up to me, you know, as I've toured it all across the country and all, now all over the world, you know, and, and the, the stories that they tell me that, you know, that this book has changed their lives, that's, you know, rescued a relationship with, with an estranged loved one and, and, and all sorts of other ones. You know, Pop once said to me, he said, if you can touch just one person, you've done your job. And every time I hear that, it's, you know, I feel that, you know, that you know that I, I really was, you know, it was a good thing that I went ahead and decided to finally publish this. It was but a very good one, thing. The one and thing it, I would say, uh, and, and really kind of the, the over, overlying message of, of, of all of this is, um, you know, go to those people that you love. And go every day and tell them that you love them and hug them because they might not be here tomorrow, and you don't know what you've got until it's gone that
0: is a a very important message for it for us all, and I'm so sorry to see our time is up Chris. you've really made the time fly by for us. Thanks so much for being such a generous and Great guest. I know Nikki joins me in wishing you success with The Twist of Lemon as well as with all your upcoming projects, especially publicity stunt. Hope you come back and visit us again soon. Well, this yes, has been thank a lovely you. interview,
1: Betty Jo. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, it was our pleasure. This is Betty Jo Tucker giving a big shout-out to the folks at Blog Talk Radio for all their help in connection with this show. Special thanks, of course, to Nikki Starr for everything she does to make Movie Addict Headquarters happen, and to Chris Lemon, again, for visiting us today. Thanks also to everyone who listened live or to the archives or called in and, I appreciate Wild Wagon calling in with that great question or participated in the chat. We really appreciate it. Well, I'm sure you can tell why we love that Chris Lemon interview so much, dear listeners. He's such a great guy. Time now for a brief message from a loyal listener. Hi, comedian Nancy Lombardo here,
2: host of Comedy Concepts, Blog Talk Radio, and when I need my movie fix, you'll know where I'll be found. That's right, every Tuesday at 4 p.m., listening to Betty Jo Tucker on Movie Attic Headquarters Blog Talk Radio. Show me the funny, Betty. Show me the
0: Thanks, Nancy. Nancy Lombardo is in the chat room, and we're so glad that she could join us. Thanks for that fun promo. I hope listeners will check out your wonderful comedy concept show here on Blog Talk Radio every Monday and Friday morning at 1030 Eastern Time. I also recommend the entertaining mom and pop shop show hosted by George Bettinger every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern time on DreamStream Radio, as well as all the diverse shows on the WACO Network broadcast now on Mixler. That's M-I-X-L-R. And, of course, we've had the uh, great host of one of those shows in our chat room all day today. We're so glad that she could be uh, with us. I hope everyone enjoyed the show, but the time is almost up. I think we just have a few minutes to hear our closing song for the day. Hooray for Hollywood!